Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to take a look at a, actually probably one of the most famous men in the three major religions of the world, Abraham. Um, if you don't have a Bible, James has some back there. Just raise your hand. I'll get you a Bible. Abraham um, is renowned in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And uh, his name, I, I don't even want to venture to guess how many times it's in the Old Testament, but uh, in the New Testament, 74 times. Uh, in the Koran, um, 188 times in the Koran. So he's revered uh, in all three religions. And uh, in Christianity, uh, we find... Oh, I'm sorry. In Christianity, we find him in uh, Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. So anyone who's a Christian, um, it's, the idea is that we are children of Abraham. And then uh, Galatians says that we're seeds of Abraham. We're his offspring. So he's the father of faith. He's the father of the faithful. And we're going to see, we're going to do this in two parts. We're going to see next week uh, this idea of salvation by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So two religions really in the whole world, there's, there's God's way and there's man's way. Man tries to earn favor with God by rules and regulations and obeying those to try to get favor with God and try to earn salvation by being a better person. And the scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. You'll never be able to earn your righteousness. Christianity is, your righteousness is imputed. It's put on your account by faith. You're saved by faith. You trust that the Lord pays the penalty, and, and you receive his forgiveness. And, and so the scripture, you see in the New Testament that it's, it's the, the price has been paid at the cross. Jesus was crucified. So he paid for all of man's, mankind's sin. Old Testament saints, this is, well, there's no cross there. Is there a cross here? Is there a cross on the, yeah, okay, great. Well, maybe we'll get a bigger one sometime in the century. Uh, in, in the cross, it's the central theme of all of history because uh, Old Testament saints like Abraham, and, and we've studied uh, Enoch and Abel, and we've also studied uh, uh, Noah, they all looked forward to a point in time, and they were trusting by faith that it was going to happen. We as Christians, after the crucifixion, look back to a point in time that it's already happened and we receive it by faith. But in each case, it's by faith. One, that it's coming, and the other, it's already ha happened. And so everyone is justified. So the scripture says about Abraham, which is fascinating, because Abraham believed God, it was accredited to him as righteousness. It's not because he got circumcised. It's not because he did anything. There was no action that he took other than believing God and taking him at his word. I was just with two of the fellows out there looking at the aquarium, and I love that there's a, a, a Genesis quote there. And, and if we go to Genesis, which means beginning, you get to the very first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You take God at his word, and, and that's what our founders did. We hold these truths be self-evident that all men are created equal. So this idea of God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We take God at his word. God says, man says. And so here we're finding a man by the name of Abraham. Now, unlike the, the uh, three previous folks that we've studied in, um, in the Hall of Faith, uh, we looked at uh, Abel, we looked at Enoch, Abel, and then we looked at Noah. With Enoch, Enoch walked with God and was no more. He was translated, taken up. And this guy's amazing. Uh, we, we see his testimony that he was translated. He was taken up. I mean, that doesn't happen with anybody. And then we see with Abel uh, that Cain murdered Abel. 
Abel's blood cries out. His sacrifice was better than his brother's sacrifice because he was seeing this idea of atonement. The blood has to be shed for the remission of sins. And we see this picture of Abel, so that's a remarkable statement. And then you look at Noah, who builds an ark, a preacher of righteousness, for over 100 years. All these, these folks did something significant. Abraham, no. All Abraham did was believe God. God said, this is it, and he said, okay, let's do it. Now, the interesting thing about Abraham is 330 years earlier, uh, with Abraham's life, 330 years earlier, there was an instant incident in, in history, which is called the Tower of Babel. And, and it's, it's like a one-world religion. It's a one-world government. They all got together. They spoke the same language. They wanted to build a, a, a structure that would reach to the heavens. We don't need God. And God confused them, gave them all separate languages, destroyed that, and spread them out over the face of the earth. They were all pagan worshipers. Pagan just simply means they, they weren't honoring God, will be our own God, will be like the Most High. That was the whole concept of the Tower of Babel 330 years earlier. Now, what's fascinating about that is if you go to Noah... Do you remember the sons of Noah? We didn't really cover it, but uh, you'll get a, a free gift certificate to nowhere tonight. No, it was Shem, Ham, and Japheth were the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, they were in the pre-diluvial time frame, meaning they survived. They, they came through the flood. Only eight people, he was a preacher of righteousness, only eight were saved on the ark. So you had Noah and his wife, you had Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. And so that's eight total people that survived the destruction of mankind. And we went through this in our previous study. So Shem comes out of it, so does Noah. You know who was alive during the time of Shem? Because we know how long they lived, they, they keep a calculation of it, is um, Terah, which is Abraham's father. And there's a likelihood that Abraham himself was alive, certainly maybe for Shem and quite possibly for Noah. So if you think, well... You know, where did we get the Old Testament? How in the world can we have the book of Genesis if, if, you know, you go to Adam and Eve and on and on and on? Well, first of all, you look prior to the flood, the length of time people would live. So you have almost maybe at the most one person removed in an oral history. And then from the flood forward, Abraham is an eyewitness to or maybe, maybe one person removed from Noah himself. And, and certainly Shem, who was a survivor of that and witnessed all of those things. So you have an oral history that is very accurate, and, and here you have it all written down for us to understand and accept. So we're going to take a look at this man by the name of Abraham. He's going to be in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. Before we go there, don't, don't read yet. I just want to set the stage. The only significance about Abraham, the only significance is that he had a relationship with the Lord. That's it. But what's fascinating about this relationship with the Lord is when we find out who he is, because that's going to give us all hope tonight. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin, as we always do, in our study of the Hall of Faith with the first three verses. It begins with, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. These are all the folks we're studying. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made by, of things which are visible. How, how was the world created? He spoke it into existence. Is anyone seeing my words as I'm speaking? You see my mouth moving, but can you see the words as they leave my mouth and enter your ears? You don't see them. He spoke, Yahior wa Yahior, light be, light was. He spoke the world into existence. He's the author of life, and, and his word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Scripture says he holds all things together by the word of his power. I'll give you an example for any of you who doubt that. Here we go. 
How many of you came from an absolutely miserable existence of addiction, struggle, heartache? Um, we can go through the whole picture if you want to a place of deliverance, freedom, with an absolute renewed walk with the Lord where God has transformed your life simply by the preaching of the Word of God. Raise your hand. It was done by words. Created a brand new being. You're, you're a new creature in Christ. The old has passed, the new has come. When you ask for forgiveness, who are you talking to? When you ask God to come into your life and, and forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life, who are you talking to? And, and what changed? It's taking him at his word. The word you can't see that's invisible, this idea that it's alive and it transforms. Words work. I can, I can look, as I've said before, I can look at my daughter and say, you're ugly and you're stupid and I hate you. And I don't need a gun to kill her. My words will do just fine. And yet words speak life. And they bring life. And this is what you're studying. The word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And then finally, as we get into the study, before we get to verse 8, remember this illustration. You come to a deserted, uh, you're, you're out in the desert. You come to a shack. You're dying of thirst. You find a pump that just seems old and there's a note hanging on the pump, and it says, there's a jar of water under the white rock. Take that jar, pour half of it to water the leather strap, and then the other half to prime the pump. There'll be plenty of water. Trust me. And when you're finished, please refill the jar, put it back underneath the white rock for the next person who comes. Now, our desire is, well, forget everyone else. I'm dying of thirst. I don't want to go through that whole issue, and I don't even know if the well's going to work. So you drink the water, and everyone who comes after you dies. This is why the Scripture is saying, for by the elders obtained a good testimony. And this is the, the substance. This is for us the substance of things hoped for. We're hoping this. It's the evidence of things not seen. We don't know that it's going to work, but we're taking the, the, the previous patriarch's word for it. Now, it's going to be a lot easier to have faith if you come along to that pump, and on that pump is a white sign that has all the instructions, but every person who's proven it to be true signs their name under it, and that's where we have Abel, and that's where we have Enoch, and that's where we have Noah, and we're going to see Abraham, and we're going to see Moses and Joseph, and all the way down the line. We're going to see uh, Rahab. We're going to see Samson. They're all going to put their name on that so that when you come to that pump, you're not going to have to worry because you have a testimony of people who've gone before you. And that's why we're on this earth, is to give others a hope that are coming behind us. We set that example for our children and for future generations to come. My faith was brought to me by somebody who wasn't alive when I read the story of their life, and that was Corey Tenboom. She had died, and, and Alan Redpath, I never had the privilege to meet him. But these folks had an instrument. George Mueller had an enormous effect on my life. He was dead before a hundred, a hundred years or so before I was even a thought in my father's head. And so this is, this is the idea of what we're reading. So, Hall of Faith, let's go down as we've already studied Enoch, we studied Abel, we studied Noah. Let's take a look at this very famous man by the name of Abraham. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's kind of cool because not many of us know where we're going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So it seems real simple as we take a look at verse 8, observing this man's life. He is accredited for this simple purpose. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. And that's why he's put in the hall of faith. He didn't know where he was going, but he did it. Now, it's a little more significant when you see what kind of a guy he was. 
Uh, let's take a look, if you would. Um, let's go to Acts chapter 7. It's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's the, what, fifth book of the New Testament. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is written by Stephen. It was his first and last only sermon. Um, they killed him after he preached it. Great audience. Talk about a seeker-sensitive sermon, trying to build a church. You, you preach in such a way, they stone you to death. That was Stephen. Um, we're going to take a look at what he says in chapter 7 of his sermon. He speaks of Abraham, and he says, uh, the high priest said, are these things so, all that he had spoken of in, in the uh, previous chapter 6. And he gets to verse 2, and he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in, everyone say Mesopotamia. Now, Mesopotamia is north of, of Israel. You go near Damascus, Syria, Mesopotamia. So he appeared, uh, God in glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So God had promised Israel, Canaan, to, to, the, to Abraham and his descendants. And we'll see that momentarily. But here's, here's, what, here's, here's Abraham. Let me give you a description of him. Abraham lived in Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldees was a pagan country. He was an idolater. He wasn't a churchgoer. He wasn't monotheistic. He, wasn't, he was an idolater. And not only that, not only was he an idolater, he was 75 years old. And, and not just 75 years old, he, he was the youngest of his father. He was childless. He was married. He was married to his half-sister. It's from Arkansas. And he, I just thought I'd throw that out there, Uncle Daddy. And he had, he, he trying to keep you awake, uh, and this was his life. He was a, a adulterer. He was um, a pagan, 75 years old, uh, youngest of his family, taking care of his dad for the most part. And he lives in Ur of Chaldees. Uh, archaeologist, describer of Chaldees is somewhat of an advanced civilization. They had running water and things of that sort. And uh, it, was, it was advanced for the time. It was probably a pretty good place to live. And here he is. And in the midst of this world, this is what's fascinating. Nowhere in the scripture do we see him calling out to God. Now, when is it that we're usually interested in hearing what God has to say? When we're hurting, life's rough. I, I, have, a, I have another idea of when, I, typically I'm interested in hearing from the Lord. When I am bored. I just, I've, I've been there, done that, I got the t-shirt, I drove fast, I, I watched, you know, the entire series, there's nothing left on Netflix. I, um, you know, football season's over, I, whatever. And you're sitting there and you've indulged yourself to the point where if this is all that there is in life, I, I don't want to keep, the, the depression sinks in. There just isn't anything else to go for. There's nothing else to look for. And you think, is this all there is? I remember purposing in my heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out as much fun as possible. It's, it's almost like a Solomon event. And, and really, have you ever gotten to a place where you just got sick of, I mean, just I want to just turn the music off for a little bit. Just turn the, I just want quiet. I want peace. 
Nothing satisfies. That you, there's, there's nothing that satiates. And the Bible says that we've been created. Interestingly enough, we've been created subject to vanity, subject to emptiness. Why is that? Because we've been created to have a relationship with God. He created us to have a relationship with him. He lives in relationship to the Trinity and wants to live in relationship with us. When we don't have that, and why is it that we long for relationship? Why can't we just be autonomous and we don't need anybody else? I don't need you. I don't need you. Well, somewhere along the line, you need someone, some, something from somebody. And, and, and after a while, maybe you'll, you'll hermitize yourself and just, just wall yourself off. But the emptiness is so depressing. Let that sink in. Because it's in those moments that you realize the emptiness of your soul and the vanity of what life is like apart from having an abiding relationship. Try to find that relationship somewhere other than the Lord and see how that works for you. It's emptiness. It doesn't matter if it's a person or a thing. Really what you're doing is you're worshiping You're giving yourself to something other than God, and it will never, ever satisfy you. So it's probably in that moment that God appears to him and speaks to him, blows him away. Absolutely floors him. Uh, I'll share this. Um, Went to another screening of the movie The Shack here in in, in Thousand Oaks Movie Co. March 2nd, March 3rd, it comes out. March 2nd, we're going to buy out the theater. Uh, I, I... I will never do that, but we're going to buy it out. We're going to treat the whole congregation to going. It is, it is amazing. And, and as we watch this movie, a man stood up at the end because we wanted commentary. The man stood up. He says, I'm not a church goer. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a person of faith by any stretch of the imagination. But I was blown away by the relational aspect of, of the Godhead. I was blown away by, by the relationship God wants to have with us. I found myself saying, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive as Mac is taking the body of his daughter to... And, and I'm, I'm listening to this man express where it, he came into a theater to watch a movie... And his entire life has been profoundly affected to where he's evaluating his entire existence. All because he's been introduced to the Trinity, to the Godhead. And that's a movie. And it was pretty spectacular. But imagine God appearing, as Stephen writes here, in glory. And Abraham's floored. He didn't call out to God. God sought him, appears to him, and lays this out. And as he lays this out before Abraham, he tells him, uh, God says to him, and, and this is what Stephen says, he says, get out of your country and from your relatives. Well, let me tell you, here's the bummer. Here's the bummer for those of us who are ingrained in sin and we are deep in our, our lifestyle. God's going to ask you to walk away from it. And now you're going to come up to a place, what do you worship? And is the thing you're unwilling to give up really giving you that satisfaction? God's calling you out of, out of Ur, Ur of Chaldees. My family's here. My, my, my wife, my kids, my job, my identity, my, my money, my everything. Yeah, but I want to have a relationship with you, says the Lord. And he's 75 years old. I get a kick out of that because, you know, 75 years of age, he lived to be over 100, so life isn't completely over. Uh, You know, 75 
for him was pretty significant. 75 today is a little bit more significant as far as age, but God calls you no matter what age you are. And he's got a work for you to do. And for those of us who think, well, I've been doing my Christian walk for 50, 60 years. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to get the Winnebago on it. It's all about me now. And I'm going to let my 401k you know, mature and I'm, I'm going to do my own deal. God's not interested in that. He's calling you. You're at a stage in your life where you have the most maturity and the most ability and you have the most to give. And to check out and go, you know, when you're Winnebago and find your own deal is not what God's intended. And he calls him. But before he calls him, he calls him out before he calls him in. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going to lay this out tonight because this is the application of the text. What is it that stands in the way of you following the Lord in all he has for you? What is it that you love more than him? Because Abraham's going to be tested. He's going to have to give up Isaac. He's going to have to put him on the altar. He's going to have to leave his home. He's going to have to leave everything he's familiar with. But the fascinating thing is, he's not, he may be walking blind, but he's walking with a God who sees and knows everything. And when he walks with him and he obeys him, he becomes the father of the three greatest religions in the world and transformative that he would be listed in the hall of faith in such a profound way. And all it is, all it is, is a relationship. So what is it that you're bound to that you think is giving you or satiating you relationally that's more important than what God wants to do in and through you? What is he calling you out of? What's your Isaac? The idea is put it on the altar and move forward. What's the altar? It's the slaughtering place. Kill it. Kill it. It's over. Done. Move forward. And this is, this is what makes him so significant. He wants a relationship with the Lord more than anything else. This means more to him than anything else. He doesn't build an ark. He doesn't get translated. He doesn't do the proper sacrifice. And he's not listed as the first murderer in the history of the world. He simply is known for having a relationship with God. That's it. The scripture even goes on to say that he was the friend of God. You know what a friend is? Somebody who walks with you. I love the definition in the London Times when they were asking for the best definition of a friend. And the one that won was, when the whole world goes out, they come in. That's where the Lord met me. The whole world went out of favor in my eyes, and the Lord came in. That's a friend. And you know what? Even when I walk away from him, he never gives up on me. And what's so powerful about Abraham's life is that Stephen points this out. He says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before, before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Now, in that passage of scripture that he's referring to, it's in Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to start off by reading uh, 11, just the last two verses. It says, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's or Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. And then it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, He said this before, before he went with his father, before he went with Lot, before he ended up in 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 uh, Haran, 
where he sojourned there in disobedience to God, he said prior to that, which we just read, he said to him, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. This is Genesis 12. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him. <clears throat> and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. And it goes on to just describe what he did and all their possessions and they had gathered and the people with whom they had acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh and the Canaanites were in the land. Joshua talks about this as well. And he says that, that, that Abraham and his father served other gods and, and he called them out. And this is a, a history that Joshua was giving to the people of Israel. And he was describing that even Abram, Abraham was a pagan but God called him out. And when he called him out, look what, exactly what he said. Get out of your country and from your family. Get out of your country and from your family. Let me ask you this. Would your family include your father? I know it's Wednesday. Work with me here. Would your family include your father? Yeah. How about your nephew, Lot? So is he being obedient? No. He's not. It says, get out, of your, uh, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house, more specifically, to a land I will show you. He takes his dad. He takes Lot. He takes servants, everything else. And he goes as far as Haran and waits for his dad to die. Is that obedience? No. No, it's not obedience. Has anybody in this room taken God at his word and then disobeyed him? Please raise your hand. Pretty homogenous crowd tonight. And you know what's neat? Is God, your friend, your father, hasn't given up on you. He never will. Scripture says God who began a good work, he began it. He's the one who called Abram. He's the one who called you. He's the one who called me. God who began a good work is faithful to complete it. The coolest thing about Abraham's life that you're going to see as we study it later, especially next week, is that what God promises, he fulfills, even when we fail, even when we fail. And so God calls him, sets this up. Now, I want to add one more thing before we kind of get to a, a picture here I want to draw for you. For those of you who think God can't use you, you're the perfect person. For those of you who think that God's getting a deal with you, You're in trouble. You're going to see it's in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. If you think that you're God's gift to mankind, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. In the meantime, he's going to let you figure that out. And he's really good at that. He's really good at bringing you to the end of yourself. And really, you know what, the, you know what that is? I can do it. I can handle it. You're like the kid and the training wheels have been taken off and dad's holding the seat. And you're like, I got this, let go. He just let go and the kid goes. Boom. God says, okay, you're on your own. And you get up and you're bloodied and scraped. And you, why did you let go? Because you asked me to. Now, are we ready to do it my way or you want to do it your way? God's in the, in the business of developing this relationship where you trust him. 
And that's what, that's what happens, trust. You know where intimacy comes from? Trust. Trust. If intimacy was a sexual act, everybody in the world would be happy. Intimacy comes with trust. And, and what's fascinating is it's vertical, you and the Lord, and horizontal with mankind. And the depth of relationship comes by the honesty and the intimacy, the trust. You establish that with the Lord and live in a relationship of, of candid honesty with him. It really helps on the horizontal plane. And that's what God's establishing in our life. And so he does this with Abraham because Abraham starts to walk, but he doesn't completely obey. He brings his dad, he brings Lot, and they go as far as Haran, and he waits for his dad to die before he continues on into Canaan. That takes me to a passage of Scripture that I get a kick out of, um, and I'll bring that up to you. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is is Mark chapter 1. And in Mark chapter 1, there's a litany of of all these things that Jesus is doing. It's probably one of the busiest days in Jesus' life. He's raising the dead. He's, the, the lepers are walking. He's casting out demons. It says he healed many, but not all, of every illness and, and sickness. It says that in the evening, uh, even more came to him after the sun had set. He ends up healing Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, he, he's just, he's going all out. And I mean, it is a full day. And I was telling some of the guys in the pastor's training program, I told them, I said, you know, it is, it's, after the first service on Sunday, I typically go up to my office. But if I stay in the sanctuary, uh, I, you know, people come up and talk to me. And my mind is set, first of all, on the message. And I want to engage in what they're saying. And they're asking me, remember, can you do this this week? And will you be available this week? Because it's the only time of the week where they can reach me. And my mind is a million miles away because I've got so many things that I'm focused on. And, and they're sharing personal experiences. And I want to be available to them. And I find that if I'm waiting and I, and I go right into the second service without spending time just reviewing the notes and praying, I, I get lost. And, and, and following the second service, people line up, they want to come and talk to you, and it's, it's their time where they want to, to get a piece of, of conversation with you. They've connected to the message. They've related that the message somehow was me, even though I'm just a recording that you put, and God put it in there, and my mouth is moving, and God's speaking. But they, they want a connection point, so they want to come up and they want to talk. And so when that's resolved, I, I, I poured myself out. And I turned to these guys, and I, and I especially some of them are in ministry now, I go, what's, what's Monday like for you? Are you? Is that a day that you really want to have meaningful conversations with your wife and kids and you're, you're totally coherent? No, I'm wiped out. That's how I am on a Monday. You call me on a Monday, you text me on a Monday, you email me on a Monday, you won't hear from me. I am worthless on a Monday, absolutely worthless. And I said that because here Jesus has the equivalent of 10 Sunday mornings, 10 Sunday mornings all in one day and demands. And I have to tell you, I've never done a Sunday where I've gone up and I've prayed for somebody who has leprosy and they've been healed or raised the dead or cast out demons, which requires an immense amount of effort and faith, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I would drag you across the floor and it would be awful. And, and here the Lord is being used and, and he's, he's just pouring himself into people. And what does it say in, in, in Mark chapter 1, immediately after that day concludes, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place and there 
he prayed. And there he prayed. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because in the passage of Scripture, uh, it's not listed in Mark, but in Matthew, that the same day that Jesus was having, the exact same day Jesus was having, described in Mark chapter 1, is somewhat covered in Matthew chapter 8. But there's an addition in Matthew chapter 8 that I want to share with you because it's significant. Now, before I read it, let's refresh our memory. Leave your country and your family. He takes his dad, leaves his father's house. No, he brings his dad with him. And he goes to Haran and waits for him to die. In the course of this day of intense ministry that God has, has, you know, God the Father has had his son, some knucklehead comes up to Jesus. And this is what he says to him in the midst of that unbelievably intense day. He says this to him. When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, this is Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, he saw great multitudes about him, gave a command to depart to the other side. He said, guys, I'm, I'm, I've hit saturation level. Let's go to the other side. A certain scribe, now this is at the end of a Sunday, you are cooked, you're fried, and somebody wants to share something intense. At this point, the scribe comes up to him and says to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. And, and he, 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 he's so excited about whatever he's heard or whatever he's seen, and he's watched crowds respond and the, the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear, and he wants this authority, he wants this power, he just sees the, the significance of ministry, and he's, he's, he just can't seem to see that Jesus is cooked. His eyes are fried, he's like, yeah, no, no, go ahead, I, what now? And I love what the Lord's response to him is. He says, I will follow you wherever you will go. And this is what Jesus says to him. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You have no clue what you're asking. You have no clue what you're saying. You love, you, you love the idea of ministry, but you have no idea the intensity of it. And another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I got to tell you, that is not the advertisement I read in World Magazine for Christian seminaries. Hey, come and study where you'll grow in your faith and be a profound teacher of righteousness. And let your go. Yeah, you don't have to bury your dad. Why don't you follow me and leave them behind? Listen, you want to go into ministry? Let me tell you, the minute you don't have a pillow or a roof over your head, you're going to quit. You don't understand the calling. It's all in. You're not going to go to Haran and bury your dad. It's not on your terms. It's on mine, God says. Now, you want the intensity and the power of ministry where lives are profoundly changed and multitudes are moved. You want that. Who doesn't? And let me tell you, lives changed in multitudes is not filling a basketball arena with everybody wanting to make money because you have a prosperity gospel. A movement of God's spirit is, is unmistakable and can't be manufactured. You want that? You won't have a pillow or a roof over your head and you're going to have to forsake everything for that. You're all his. And the scripture says that 
they didn't do it. It's like, whoa. Yeah, I want all that, but I don't know about that. And they move on. And this was after an intense day, and Jesus is just saying, you want the results of what's taken place, but you don't want the effort. And the effort is complete yieldedness. And this is the picture. Abraham didn't get there right away, and neither did any of us. God's in the business of saying, okay, you want to do it your way, we'll let you do it your way. And what's fascinating is when it gives an account of Abraham's life, as we just read in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he would receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You know what the Lord leaves out in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8? The Haran stop. He leaves out the fact that, that uh, he slept with Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid. God leaves out the fact that he lied, uh, he had his wife lie twice and he lied to Pharaoh. He leaves out all the failures of Abraham. You know why? Because a friend overlooks an offense. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. God wants this relationship. Okay, you blew it. I, I've forgotten that. I've cast as far as east is from the west and remember no more. This is who you are. That's, that's not, that's what you were doing, but this is who you are. Let's move forward, Abraham. God always sees you in his son's righteousness. He doesn't see your failure nor mine. That's a friend of God. More importantly, God is our friend. He's our, he's our father. He walks with us that way. He doesn't see any of the mistakes. You remind him, Lord, I did this, I did this. I don't know what you're talking about. God, you're going to strike me dead. Your sin is going to cause you issue. I want you to walk away from that. I want you to walk out of Ur of Chaldees. I want you to go to the land I've called you to. I want you to realize no relationship takes precedence over my relationship with you because it's satiating, it's saturating, it's satisfying. That's what I want for you. It's going to be intense. It doesn't happen all at once. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And listen, there's no relationship that takes precedence. Let the dead bury the dead. When I call you, you got to go. We'll get to that place. You're going to fail. But I, who began a good work, God says, am faithful to complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. Everyone in this room has failed. Everyone in this room has blown it. God doesn't quit. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. His grace is sufficient. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you don't continue in sin that grace may abound. You keep moving towards the destination God has called you to. Don't quit. Don't give up. The scripture says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. The steps of a man of a good man or a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. You're asking God to guide and direct every step of your life and this is what he does, especially when we trust him. I like what James says. The scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. You know, one of the reasons why Abraham was a friend of God is because he wanted to do what God wanted. He didn't always get it done, but God doesn't really, in a sense, he, he looks towards our actions, but he also knows our intentions. Isn't it nice to have a friend who sees your intentions, even though your actions fail them? That's the Lord. And when our heart is to honor him and we operate in that context, we're blessed. And this is what's so fascinating 
about Abraham, I want to share one other thing. For those of you who think God can't use you, Abraham is the father of the faithful. We're, we're the children of Abraham. We're the seeds of Abraham. Everything we have in this congregation is a result of that man obeying God's call, obeying God's call in his failure. And, and here's the other thing about Abraham. And I, I want to ask you if you've ever done this. Have you ever tried to help God out because he just can't get the job done? Anyone? Where God says, trust in the Lord with, with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Wait upon the Lord, trust me, God says. And you're like, God, you don't understand. I gotta have this paid by noon today and if I don't get it paid, I'm gonna, and I don't know where to, and I gotta, and this, what is it? Anyway, and you run the credit card and now you got more problems because not only did you not pay it with money you had, you paid it with money you didn't have and now you have interest on the money that you paid it that you didn't have with the money that you needed to pay it because you didn't win. And now you got all these plates spinning because you gotta help out God because he didn't show up. That's Abraham. He tried to help God out. Look, God, I know you said I'm going to have descendants as numerous as stars in the skies and the sands of the sea, but I am old. I'm decrepit. There's no way I'm going to have a kid. Sarah, there's no, there's no, no, no obstetrician is going to say she can have a baby. Nobody. She's, she's, no, she's done. Uh, so I'm going to sleep with Hagar and we're going to have a child through her because it kind of follows the law of the land. And I technically, I, I can help you out with this. I, I can help you out with this. God, I can help you out with this. And now we got Ishmael and we got Isaac and Ishmael are all the Muslims and Isaac, you know, and now we got war. Thanks. Thanks for helping God, Abraham. Thank you. You really, really did the world a favor on that one. God, you understand how lonely I am. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to go down to a place where I, I, I know where I won't be lonely. I mean, it'll be for a moment, but at least I, I, I know what I'm going to get. I know also too there's going to be depression following that, but you know, Lord, I feel empty inside. I know this only satiates for a few hours, but, and I know the depression is exponential of the high that you, but I'm just going to help you out. The Lord says, wait on me, trust me. Don't lean on your own understanding. And the cool thing about Abraham that I love is not only does he fail, not only does he not yield to God, not only does he try to help God out. I mean, Go down the list of anywhere you struggle in your walk with God. And yet the Lord calls him his friend. Nothing significant about a 75-year-old man who's childless, the youngest of his children, idol worshiper, failure. But every day he got up and said, okay, God, I want to go this direction with you. And how can two be in accord unless they walk together? If my wife and I, and she's my best friend, she's, it's just that simple. If Michelle decides to do something, and I decide to do something, and as it said about Barnabas and Paul, one was insistent and the other was determined and a small contention arose. And you don't walk together in unity. You don't see that the Lord commands you to do that and to yield to one another in love submitting to one another in the fear of God. And you just go about your own deal and you go about your own deal. You share a house, but you're two ships passing in the night. There's, there's, no, there's no honesty. There's no candidness. There's no sincerity. And all you have is emptiness. And you don't walk together as one. The two shall become one flesh. It's relationship, the Godhead. That's what we long for. You want a friend? You want to be a friend? Then do like Abraham. 
Walk with him. Walk with him. You don't understand what I've done. Abraham does. Whatever you've done, he did. He did it better than you did in doing it not well. He's one of the most amazing patriarchs, and I love this, and this is what we'll close with tonight. I love this passage of Scripture because it brings me such joy. And this, to me, summarizes Abraham, and I pray it encourages you tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, I'll read. You ready? Pay attention to this. This is what makes Christianity so significant. Every one of you, I don't care if you're not a believer tonight, I can tell you this much. You're here because there's an emptiness. God called you. You may be an Ur of Chaldees. I don't know where you are, but he called you. Your heart's moved. I didn't bring you here. I, did anyone in this room, did I call any of you to come tonight? No, I didn't call any of you. In fact, I didn't know any of you were coming. Maybe my kids, my wife, but I, maybe the staff. God called you. And here's why Christianity is so significant. God didn't call you to condemn you and crap on you. I did say that. He called you back into his, his relationship with you, into this friendship. He loves you. He's for you. The message of the cross, verse 18 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What is the cross? The cross is the reconciling place for all mankind, for those in the past before the cross happened and those now that look back to that point. It's the reconciling of a relationship with God. What separates us? Our unwillingness to walk with Him. Our sin. Sin is stepping away from God. He covers that. He forgives it. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness and He sets it straight. And some people can go, that's stupid. And you know why you say that? Because you haven't realized the world is completely empty yet. And you're not listening because he's calling you. And all the voices that you hear of everyone testifying to it and their lives being transformed, you think it's stupid and foolish. And it's a foolish message to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Saved unto what? What we were always created for, the relationship with our, our God, our creator, who loves us. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Last night, we were at the school board meeting. Room was divided. There were secular humanists and... Judeo-Christian people who believe in God's word is absolute. Man says, God says. The room is divided. We're contending for the future of the children of the community. Social studies curriculum, LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community, contending for the education of the young minds of the children of our community. God's word says, to cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the deepest ocean. I'd say we're pretty moved to want to try to contend for what is right in their life. On this end, there's nothing wrong with any alternative lifestyle. 
It doesn't matter if you sit down and you logically go through it and you say, look, we believe in, 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 in civil rights and we can go down ethnicity, we can go down gender, we can go down all these things. And one man contended, he said, but sexual orientation should be taught in sexuality class, not in history and social studies. Didn't make any sense. Nobody, ah, bigot, racist, hater. Preaching tolerance while expressing intolerance towards a contending view. Over here, we point out there are absolutes. There are no absolutes. Do you believe that absolutely? That doesn't make sense. No, it does. Come, let's reason together. Hater, hater, hater. There's no conversation. I want this. We will educate all of mankind, no matter what you say. It's irrelevant. We don't need God. We don't want you. But God said, don't care. It's a battle. Contending. And it's foolishness. To these, what is it for us? Why is it that we contend? Why is it so important to me? I got a thousand things I can do on a Tuesday night. Why would I go to a school board meeting? Because it matters to God. So it matters to me. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I don't care if you want to call me an idiot or a fool. I'll lay out and I'll be prepared to give a reason in season and out of season for the hope that lies within me. I'll educate, I'll study to show myself approved. I'm not gonna sound like some stupid idiot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna contend with you. I'll lay it out, I'll do it lovingly, but you're just gonna call me a fool. The Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. What are you telling me? You need to be saved. Why? God wants to have a relationship. God who? The one who created you. What? There's no God. It's a battle. Man says, God says. Man says, God says. Contending. I want a sign. I want wisdom. It's a stumbling block. What is he calling us to? Humble yourselves and walk with him. Come out of her of Chaldees. There's a better way. It's a relationship. It's significance. I have purpose for your life. No. If you just leave me alone to love who I want, it won't satisfy the... the, the the suicide rate's high. The, the sickness rate is high. There's consequences to that. Please, no. Bigot. Racist. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, and here's what's so cool about Abraham. You see your calling. You see your calling, brethren. Not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. I, 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 the countless people stood up and said... These are learned doctors of education that know what's best for our children, parents. I would rather teach my children sexuality than these learned doctors who have brought our school system to rank 47th in the nation. We're contending, but I don't have a PhD. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The idea is, Abraham was just like you and me. 
He was just like you and me. He had his struggles, he had his weaknesses, he had his failures, but he walked with God as a friend. More importantly, God walked with him as a friend. He wanted that abiding relationship with the Lord. And that abiding relationship cost him everything. But no matter what he gave up, he got back more than he ever gave. Exponentially so. Everyone tonight around the world is talking about Abraham. Somebody, somewhere around the world is talking about Abraham. 188 times in the Quran, 70-something times in the New Testament, countless times in the Old Testament, three major religions, the majority of the world. This guy touched the entire world. And he started at 75 years of age as a pagan. But he decided to reconcile a relationship with the living God. No matter how many times he failed, God kept working with him because he began the good work. He was faithful to complete it. And I just say to all of you tonight, this hall of faith, as we've gone through Enoch, we've gone through Abel, we've gone through Noah, now we're at Abraham. If you're not getting the theme, the theme is pretty normal people trusting an amazing God. You can take him at his word. Or just do what man says. Go find your own route. Let me know how that works for you. Because I didn't call you this morning. I didn't call you today. You came. God's talking to you. He drew you. And as he moved in Abraham's life, he's moving in yours. Take him at his word. Trust him. Come out of Ur of Chaldees. Walk away from the idols and embrace the God who has always loved you and has never quit on you and never will. Amen? Any questions tonight? Thoughts? Additions? Oh, thanks. Easy to teach on Abraham. I have to say last, yes. Yeah. So the question was, uh, if you didn't hear it, the school board meeting, uh, what happens after a meeting like that? So I went to the meeting, um, and, and I purposed in my heart three things. A couple of them I'll share with you. One is I wanted to share with somebody. I wanted to reach somebody. I just I wanted to minister. And secondly, I sought civility in the meeting. I want to encourage people to civility. Um, we speak the truth in love, and we really have to understand that. And, and we have to know the culture, and we have to know the currency of, of, of that culture. And I was so thrilled to see how people are maturing in that call in our community. So we gathered, and you could see that the room was divided, and media was there. And I'm not sure, I think it was the star, maybe the acorn, but they were taking pictures of me because I'm a councilman. And I wasn't really engaged. I was just leaning up against a wall, and I was getting a little concerned about that. And I purposely sat next to somebody that I knew was in opposition, and I started up a conversation. So you have any children in the school district? I got a young daughter graduated, and I... Oh, right on. And, and he goes, oh, I know you. You're the councilman, Rob McCoy. Oh, yeah, that's me. I hope this works out. And we had, a really, we had a really great conversation. I talked to him about William Wilberforce. I talked to him about civility. We had a really sweet conversation. I told him, thank you for coming. And, you know, when the Bible says, love your neighbors yourself, 
And I'll give you a really good example of how to act in an environment like that. Love your neighbors yourself. And here's real simple. If, if Grant comes to me and says, Rob, you hurt me, this is what you did. And he lays out the actions that I did that hurt Grant. I respond to Grant going, Grant, that wasn't my intention. I'm sorry about my actions, but it wasn't my intention. And I'm asking Grant to judge me on my intentions, not my actions, right? So if we want to love our neighbors ourselves, then we should judge our neighbor on their intention, not their actions. And so I look at these folks and they're passionate. Why are they passionate? What is their intention? They really want to understand relationship. Now, they may be misguided. They may not. Certainly, some are completely misguided. But, but the, those that are like totally sold out to that, I doubt they even exist in that room. I just think it was a misguided room. And you contend for the truth and love, and you judge them on their intent. You say, you know what? I'm so blessed you're here. And we had great conversation. And you season your words t- kindly. Some people did a great job, others didn't. Some have prophetic voices where they, you know, they're like, they're like a, Elijah. They just call down lightning. And they're needed. They're needed. I, I don't want to dismiss any of that. And their intentions are good too. They, they demand truth. They want you to see that. But at the end of the night, everyone dispersed civilly. It was just completely empty immediately. The first vote was three to two when they wanted, this, this was uh, three of the school board members too. They were voting on the social studies curriculum. SB 48 says you must teach LGBTQ in school. The, what's it called, the curriculum uh, that is proposed by the state that was done by activists saying you need to teach it in the second grade and the fourth grade. They were wanting to bypass the curriculum and still hold to the law. So three to two vote, and then when they finally approved it, it was a five-nothing vote. So they came to a consensus, which was pretty spectacular. And now we're at a stage where we can start to contend for these kids at the age levels that are appropriate. And of, of bypassing the curriculum and, and writing it that would fit the district as opposed to applying what the state has suggested. And remember this, First Timothy chapter 2, pray for kings and those in authority that you have quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. So quiet and peaceable lives and all godliness and reverence, and we're contending. It says, pray for the peace of the city, for in its peace you'll have peace. And that's in Jeremiah 29. Okay, so if we're praying for kings and those in authority that would have quiet and peaceable lives and all godliness and reverence, so we're praying for the peace of the city, for in its peace you'll have peace. Here's the question I asked. What is the school board up against? What's the city council up against? And what are the issues that would help bring peace in the city? If you don't know those, how in the world could you be praying for people whose names you don't know and how can you pray for peace with issues you don't have an understanding of? And what I'm loving is we're, we're now coming, and, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, we're now coming to a place where we're going, I see my role in this. And now we're being moved to engage in the culture. And last night, for the first time since I have lived in Thousand Oaks, I was so blown away by, by the people that came forward to make a difference in the community. And the words that they spoke were great. And some people struggle, but you know what? All in all, it was an amazing night. That's good. I don't know if that was the answer you wanted, but there you go. Okay. Anyone else? Comments? Anything? Nothing? You just want to go home? Okay, fine. Amen. Uh, I'll leave you with this last thought. I, I had the privilege um, 
a week ago today to speak at the Kiwanis Club. Uh, and I, I spoke on a pastor in politics or separation of church and state because I had joined Kiwanis um, after the assembly election when I went there to go find, you know, just to introduce myself for, for the election. And I really liked the Kiwanis. I was touched by the people there. And a, a, a number of them have, not a number of, a few of them have been in advertisements of every one of my opponents when I run races. They've been in the advertisements for my opponents. And I thought, this is exactly where I want to be. I, I, people are not the enemy, they're opportunities. I, 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 I want to be in their life. What is God? He's relational. See, we're destroying the country when we get behind our walls of our truth and we lob bombs thinking that that somehow is relational. You go out and you make friends. Love your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use you. And, and they, Chuck Huffer, who I, 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 God orchestrated that the two of us would do um, uh, Meals on Wheels together. Out of confusion, we ended up in the same location. We did it together. I learned so much about him. He learned about me. We enjoyed each other's company to the point where he asked me to come and speak. And I spoke last Wednesday. Now, I'm talking about a topic that I'm thinking a lot of folks aren't really going to like, but I just shared it from my heart with personal illustrations and stories, and I got the nicest thank you note and compliments from, from people I didn't think would give me such. And I have come to deeply love every member of that Kiwanis Club. And that's what God wants from us. Walk with him. Come, come out of your selfishness, come out of your idolatry, and walk with him because he has people in mind for you to connect with. He doesn't want you to blow bombs and hate people. He wants you to go out and love on them, connect with them, speak truth, engage in their life, civility, kindness, all these things. So that's a thought. Take it with you. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing on the remainder of this week that we would walk with you you're our friend, and may we, may we realize that a friend loves at all times. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, you said Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would establish that with others in our community, that what you've done for us, you called us, we didn't call you, you called us while we were lost and depraved and struggling. You sought us out, you found us in the midst of our struggle, and so Lord, may we do the same. Go and find those that are just struggling in Ur of Chaldees and let them know that we're off to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Come join us. And I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work in our community in that regard. Thank you, Lord, and we praise you and we love you. And thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.